Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here this morning. Those of you who are streaming online, you're welcomed as well. I got to thinking, could 2020 get any more weirder than what it already is? But here we are this morning. Of course, our service is different this morning because instead of me standing in front of a physical pulpit, you see me, of course, on the screen that is behind me. And that was done because we're trying to be cautious. I was possibly exposed to the COVID virus. Not really sure, but there was a possibility. And so just uh, in order to be cautious about it, we decided to go this way and uh, this portion of the service anyway. So it is a little bit strange. Maybe you've heard of the conversation that went on in heaven between Peter and an intern angel. Peter says to this intern angel, he says, did you finish arranging the future events for the 2020s? And the angel said, yes. Wait, did you say 2020s as in plural? I mean, are you talking like the full decade? And Peter said, well, yes, what did you think? I said, what did you hear me say? And the angel says to him, he goes, um, the year 2020? And Peter says to him, he goes, you didn't put a whole year's worth of history into one year, did you? Well, this year is a weird year, and it feels a little bit like, you know, we crammed a lot of things into 2020, and so it does seem to be a little bit strange. So here we are this morning, uh, together with one another, uh, me not present physically, but online with you, and, and that's just a joy to be here. Well, as you know, we have been going through this new series that is a part of our, our theme for this year, and that is Identity. And I began talking to you about embracing your unique gifts and talents. And as we talked about our unique gifts and talents, we looked at Romans, the 12th chapter, beginning in verse 1 and going down through about uh, verse, uh, verse, uh, verse 8. And so this morning, I want us to go back and just briefly read this section of Scripture, and then we're going to get properly into the subject of the lesson. So let's read, beginning in Romans, the 12th chapter, beginning with verse 4. Listen to what Peter said, or Paul says. For just as we have many members in one body, and all members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one of another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, or he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And so there you have these gifts, and you might recall last week that I talked to you about this lesson on gifts and talents that motivate. As I said to you, that there are those, especially in the scholarly field, or those who are theologians, who refer to this list of gifts that I just read to you as the motivational gifts. And they, and they call the motivational gifts of Romans 12 the motiva motivational gifts because they motivate people to do specific kinds of ministry to be, to be used for the benefit of the body or the church. And so these are the gifts that are placed before us. And interesting enough, as you look at the gifts, is you might notice that prophecy is at the very top of the gifts. And as you look at the rest of the gifts, they seem very normal and very natural for a person to have. But the one prophecy seems to really stand out there. And so the question that came to my mind is this. Why, why did Paul begin with prophecy? And not only that, uh, what does it refer to? What is it talking about? Well, that's what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. I'm going to be talking to you about prophecy that I'm calling God's bold proclamation. Now, I have to tell you, when it gets down to talking about prophecy in Christendom, there's a lot of discussion and a lot of debate and disagreement about exactly what does this prophecy refer to. 
There are those who believe that prophecy refers to this fresh revelation that is continually uh, coming down to people, even to this day, and that it comes in many different kinds of uh, ways and, and so forth. And then there are the prophecy that people believe are, has been already reve been revealed completely to us through the written word of God. So let me begin by sharing with you an, an imaginary conversation that goes on between two guys. One fellow's name is Ryan. The other guy's name is Dan. So Ryan goes up to Dan, and, Dan's, and, and he says to Dan, Dan, you're one of our elders, and there's something that I need to tell you uh, uh, right away. Dan says, are you sure, Ryan, that it can't wait to maybe after the worship service? And Ryan says, no, no, uh, this is really important. And so Dan says, okay, what is it? And Ryan says, well, God told me that we need to change the color of the church carpet. And Dan says, really? And Ryan says, yes, we need to put in canary yellow carpet. And Dan says, canary yellow? And Ryan says, yes, canary yellow, and it has to be done this week. And Dan says to him, he goes, well, I'm not sure that the, the elders are going to buy in this idea of putting in canary yellow uh, carpet. Besides that, I'm not really convinced myself that we really need new carpet in the building. Ryan says, but Dan, this is not something we need to discuss. God told me that this is what we need to do. I'm just giving you a message, and we better do it. Dan says, well, what do you mean God told you that we're to put canary yellow carpet in this week? And Ryan says, just that. God told me. He spoke to me. I'm just telling you what he said. Dan says to him, well, did you hear audibly a voice say this? And Ryan says, well, no. So then how do you know, Dan says, that, it, that it's God speaking to you? And Ryan says, how do I know? Well, I, well, I just know. But Ryan, there's nothing in the Bible that even remotely talks about uh, the color of, of carpet. And frankly, even canary ca carpet is not something that I would think God would want to put into a, a church building. And, and now Ryan's getting a little bit upset. And so Dan says to him, he says, listen, Ryan, uh, just you know, calm down for a little bit. Don't get overly excited. You know, I think you'll be really interested in the lesson that I have to share with you today. And so listen, and after we'll talk about it. To which Ryan says, well, okay, but I sure hope that Bob Rupp has a, a big roll of carpet that is yellow on hand and ready to go this week. So that's a, an imaginary discussion, and, and I know that for the most part, most of us would agree that that is unlikely, probably very un, unlikely. And to most of us, we would say that that you know, borders on being so far-fetched in terms of a discussion. But I just want you to know this morning that there are those who are convinced that God is giving them fresh revelation, that he is speaking to them. And then there are those who say, no, God is finished with doing, with doing that. Well, last week, we compared two lists, as you recall. We looked at Romans, the 12th chapter, that is found in verses 6 down through 8. And then we talked about 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, beginning in verses 1 down through 10, and then verses 28 down through 31. And as you look at those lists there, some would say that the gifts and the lists that are, there, uh, that are listed there are one and the same. But I'm here to tell you that the two lists are distinctively different from one another. In fact, th with the exception of prophecy and teaching that you see behind me, the lists are entirely uh, different. And because the ones that you see in chapter 12 
of 1 Corinthians, they are gifts that are, as I mentioned last week, somewhat flashy or showy. They're impressive gifts, if you will. In fact, if you heard a person speak in a language that they had not been schooled in or, or trained in, that would be impressive. It'd be impressive if a person was able to translate what that person was saying in terms of another language. You'd be impressed with that if they had not been to school and learned about that language themselves. Or if you saw someone healed of a severe malady or a miracle that was worked, you would find yourself being wowed with that. Whereas when you look at the 12th chapter of Romans and those gifts there, they would be mundane in comparison. These seem very normal and natural that a person would have those. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is over in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, the gifts that are referred to there as being demonstrative or more showy or flashy, they came through the laying on of the apostles' hands. Whereas the gifts of Romans 12 are natural gifts and not miraculous because no apostle had come there and laid hands on anyone in, 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 that were Christians in, in Rome, at least by the time the epistle of, uh, to the Romans was written. And so they are markedly different between the two. The seven gifts of Romans 12 are non-miraculous and are with us today. Why? Because they're not dependent upon the laying on of the apostles' hands. And not only that, but every church uh, that is around, they belong to, they have those gifts. Every believer has at least one of these gifts and some even more than than one and so the way i summarized it would be this because the miraculous gifts could only be transferred by the laying on of the apostles hands the miraculous age would come to an end in the early years of the second century with the death of john who was the last apostle and some of the gifts that were could continue on for possibly one generation after of those that he may have laid hands on but at their death the miraculous age would cease or would disappear so the gifts of 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, that which had, were the cause of the Apostle Paul laying hands upon those who were in Corinth, Corinth, giving them a miraculous measure, ceased to exist where those in Romans, the 12th chapter, were gifts that existed and were divinely given by God without the laying on of the Apostles' hands. And so though the list of the gifts in this text are not miraculous they are still divinely given by god's grace and are just as important just as impactful just as powerful than the flashly gifts and they are given for the benefit of the church and each christian has at least a one of them that brings us to the gift of prophecy and right now you're saying to yourself you just hurt our head because you talked about the miraculous gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. What about Romans, the 12th chapter? Well, that's not a miraculous gift. So what is it talking about? Well, I think if we were to go back and just talk a little bit about prophets and prophecy, maybe I can help define this gift a little bit more for you. The word prophet is a great word. It's used 251 times in the Bible. In both the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the word means a spokesman or a mouthpiece of another. In the Hebrew, it was the word nabi, and in the New Testament, it was the word prophetes. Pro, which means forward, and thami, which means to say, or to forth say, that's the idea of what a prophet was to be about. So prophets were God's mouthpiece. They were his words to the, the people. 
And so prophecy was speaking forth, or it was proclaiming. Well, that's the job of the prophet. The job of the prophet was primarily uh, a gift of proclamation. So what was it that they were proclaiming? Well, the proclamation was that of God's word. And so that would be true whether you were talking about the Old Testament prophets or whether you were talking about the first century prophets that had the miraculous gift of prophecy. But I would say to you that some of that even continues on when we talk about prophecy today. Let me also talk to you a little bit about prophet and prophecy. One of the characteristics both prophet and prophecy has is that of, of boldness. There's going to be a need for boldness because the prophet's message, more often than not, was one of calling God's people to repentance. That's what most of them did in the Old Testament. And let me tell you, when you go and you start talking to people about their sin, about their need to turn back to God, people don't like being told that they're sinners or that they are sinning. Even more, even just like today, people don't appreciate it when people today confront others about their, their sin. And so there is a need for boldness. And so I think one of the things that is very common among those who prophesy would be that of boldness itself because the message, more often than not, like I said, is that of repentance, turning people uh, back. The other part of a prophet's work was to build up. Some translations say to strengthen or to edify, to exhort or encourage, as well as to comfort or console God's people. I like what 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter and verse 3 says. The one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. So there's a two-fold work or job of prophecy, and that is one to call people to repentance or to strengthen, to encourage, or to, to comfort. Now, it's true that when you talk about the godly prophets of the Old Testament, that they received a thus saith the Lord from the Lord that they were to proclaim. In fact, they'd oftentimes start their message by saying, the word of the Lord came to me saying, or thus says the Lord. And it generally had to do with sin and not carpet. It was something that was straightforward and, and bold. And, and genuinely said, here's what the Lord says, and he, they would begin to then bring uh, the message. And the miraculous gift of prophecy mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 was inspired information or revelation that came directly from the Holy Spirit to an infant church revealing God's will. They didn't have Bibles sitting in their laps as you do uh, this morning. They may have had the Old Testament, but certainly not the New Testament and how the New Testament church was to function. And though the gift of prophecy today is non-miraculous, Boldness to proclaim God's word has not changed. And the message of encouraging and strengthening and building up and comforting and consoling people, that hasn't changed any, uh, either. So when you talk about prophecy or God's bold proclamation, what does it consist of? Well, I would submit to you that it consists of several things. The first one being this. Prophecy is a bold proclamation calling people to repentance. Now, in the Old Testament prophets, they boldly told people to turn to God in repentance. They were saying to them, you people have messed up. You've gone down the wrong path. You've gone in the wrong direction, and you need to turn around, and you need to change, and you need to repent. You need to turn from your sins. You need to trust God along to save you from your sinful selves and, and, and ways. 
Uh, you need to look to God for mercy and grace and forgiveness. And they also talked about the, the fact that God was going to send a Savior uh, in whom you should trust for your future and for salvation. And in fact, that's what Isaiah, in Isaiah the 53rd chapter, was talking about, a coming Savior or a man of sorrows who would take all the sins and iniquities of the people. Then you talk about New Testament proclamation. In terms of prophecy in New Testament proclamation, Boldly they were told to turn people of uh, 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 God to repentance. In other words, they're saying, you've messed up. An example of that would be Galatians, the sixth chapter, and verse 1. There Paul says, if any of you are caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one uh, in a spirit of, of understanding, a spirit of gentleness, knowing that you too could be tempted. And so when you talk about a person who is spiritual, well, there's no one more spiritual than those who have a gift of prophecy. And it takes boldness to go to a person that is wayward or going in the wrong direction. So the idea is that they were to turn from sin. A good example of that was Peter. Peter was a great prophet. In fact, over in Acts, the first chapter, there Peter, he is, or it's the second chapter, Peter brings the first gospel sermon. And in that gospel sermon, he talks about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, along with a number of other things. But listen to what it says here, beginning in verse 36. As he begins to conclude his lesson, Peter says this, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when the people heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Notice what Peter said. Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what was Peter's message to the people when they recognized sin and asked him what to do? His first words were, repent, make a change. As you get over in Acts, the third chapter, you'll see somewhat the same thing happening here, the exact kind of message where he calls them to repentance. In the third chapter, beginning in verses 12 and following, listen to what Peter says. When Peter saw this, that's after he had healed a man, it says, beginning in verse 11, it says, and while he, that is the healed man, was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you stand gazing at us as if your own, by our own power or piety, we had made him well? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus, the one on whom you delivered up and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disown the holy and righteous one and ask for a murderer to be granted to you. But put to death the prince of life, the one on whom God raised from the dead, in fact, which are, you are witnesses right now. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which is strengthened, this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, Christ should suffer, has been, thus been fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and return that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of 
the Lord. Now, that was a little bit lengthy reading, but I want you to dial in on what he said in verse 19. He tells them to repent. That is, that they needed to turn from their sins and turn to God for forgiveness. That they were to trust in God alone to save them from their sinful selves and ways. That they're to look for God for mercy and grace and forgiveness and salvation. That they're to turn to Christ, whom alone can save you. And that the Savior who has come is coming again in the future and judgment is coming with him. So that was the New Testament proclamation of the prophets. They talked about returning and, and repenting, but they also gave some encouragement and building up in the direction that they needed to go. So one of the bold proclamations of prophecy is that of calling people to repentance. I was reading a story about a, a woman who wrote of going by and picking up her mother to take her for a ride in the a car. Well, pretty soon things got really bad and, and the daughter who was driving the car became really irritated because her mother kept scolding her. She rolled through her stop sign and so her mother scolded her about running through a stop sign. She's going over the speed limit and so her mother, she, she, she scolds her about driving too fast. And the girl has just about had it. Unfortunately, about that time, a police officer lights her up and pulls her over and after some discussion, eventually gives the, the daughter a ticket. And the daughter's upset, and as the police officer is walking away, the daughter says to her mother, she says, he goes, you know what, that was really unfair. You know, he didn't have to give me a ticket. He could have just given me a warning. To which the mother said to her daughter, Joan, I gave you the warning. The police officer gave you the ticket. And that's what prophecy is about in terms of calling people to repentance. Our job is to give warning to people about what they're doing in terms of their behavior. God is the one who gives the judgment, or you might say the, the ticket. And so our job really in terms of prophecy and those who feel gifted in that area to have this boldness within them, we're to call people to repentance. The second thing is the bold proclamation is that which builds up and encourages, it consoles a body of believers. And who doesn't want to be encouraged? Who doesn't want to be built up? Who doesn't want to be comforted? That's something that is needed in our world today. It's something that is needed in our church. But sometimes, before you can build up, sometimes you have to uh, tear down. And that's what you know, Paul wrote to Timothy over in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter and verse uh, 2. There he says to Timothy, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And when you look at those three things that Timothy was told to do, those were all, all positives there. There were some negatives there where he had to talk to them about things that were not going to be pleasant to listen to. Sometimes sin has to be confronted, in other words, but it should always be followed up and showing a way back. And so bold proclamation, it builds up, it encourages, it consoles, but it's also honest with the people that you are talking uh, with. Number three, a bold proclamation is rooted solely in revealed scripture. And there's a huge advantage there. There's a huge advantage those who have the gift of prophecy have over the Old Testament prophets or even over those of the first century prophets. There is a huge advantage 
and that advantages that we have in our possession the complete revelation of God's infallible word that has been preserved for us in 66 books of the new uh, of the Bible and is a constant companion and guide and instruction to us so we don't have to have fresh revelation coming down at us because we've been given the full revelation of God's word to us so today's prophecy is proclaiming faith in Christ. Today's prophecy points to the authority of God's word. Why? Because the words are because the words that we have as human beings are fallible. That means they're not always correct. But God's word is infallible and it always tells the truth. So today's prophecy recognizes that they are or prophecy recognizes that they are as human mouths are or people are not perfect and that our perceptions and our interpretation of his word are not always infallible or flawless. There are times when it's possible for us to get it wrong. And that's why we're constantly checking up on one another. And that's why you're constantly encouraged to check me out or to check anyone who teaches in front out. Because we're not infallible. There is a fallibility about us. And we do our best to have the right perception and give the right interpretation. But it doesn't always mean we do. But we have a huge advantage because we know that we build truth is found in the infallible word of God. And I think that that's what Paul or Peter was getting at when he said to uh, his, his readers over in 2 Peter, the first chapter and verse 3, there he says, all things have been given to us that are given to us for godliness or how to live godly lives through a true knowledge that has been given to us. So we've been given everything that we need to know. Jude, uh, chapter 1, which is the only chapter, and verse 3, it says that we're to earnestly contend for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. So we have God's complete record or his complete revelation, and there's no need to go beyond that word. And then finally, there, a bold proclamation that reaches out to uh, the lost. Now, when we talk about reaching out to the lost, today's prophecy should motivate you to boldly proclaim the gospel or the good news to the world. And I believe that there are those who are gifted in that way, who have a boldness, that are able to just really suck it up for 15 seconds and run risk and make themselves vulnerable and bring the good news to those who are in the world. And it's necessary because not everyone is in a relationship with God and that the people who are outside of a relationship with Jesus have a sin and a grave problem and Jesus is the answer or remedy for, for both. So Jesus died for our sins. He has risen for justification and that he is, give, he is the giver of new life and that you know that Jesus is going to come again. So there is a boldness there as we proclaim the good news to a world that is lost. Um, how do you know if you have that kind of boldness? I was talking to someone just last week who was telling me about an incident, incident of driving to one of these um, uh, short, uh, shortstop like marts, like a maverick. And they'd go, gone there to get gas, but they also were buying some milk and so forth. And the attendant came up to them and we're talking. And this person asked this attendant, is there anything that I could pray about for you? And the man said to this person, absolutely. And the person was a little bit shocked because he didn't ex necessarily expect it, but they says, yes, please pray for me. And then they got into a discussion, and the discussion centered around his, his daughter. 
And the person that was talking to him says, well, you know, I have some girls myself. And so they got into a great discussion. And discussion began to move towards spiritual matters. Here's a person who for 15 seconds was bold and asked another person if they're willing, if there's something that they would like them to pray about, and they got a positive reaction. I'm not saying it always goes that way, but there's a boldness that is there, and that maybe we need to practice that kind of boldness. And maybe that's how you identify if you have that gift is the boldness that is in you to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So when you break it down, there's the, when you talk about prophecy, it's a bold proclamation calling people to repentance. It's to build up, to encourage, to console the body of believers. It's solely revealed in the scriptures. And then lastly, it reaches out to a lost world. Let me see if I can begin to wrap this up and talk to you about some cautions and responsibility when it comes down to a prophecy. The first one is this. A bold proclamation is to be done according to the portion of faith given. And that's what he says in Romans 6 and verse, uh, uh, Romans 12 and verse 6. There he says, those who have the gift of prophecy according to the proportion or the measure of their faith. And so what, what is to be proclaimed is to be God's word set forth in the inspired writers of the scripture. Jude 1 says, earnestly contend for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. And the proclamation is to be done according to the portion or measure of faith. That is, according to the ability or boldness which God has given to us. And the warning is that we're not to go beyond or tell more than what is revealed in God's word. So when Dan said to Ryan, he says, I don't think there's even anything remotely that talks about carpet in the church. He was absolutely right about that. And not only that, is that something that really matters to a person? So I know people sometimes put a lot of a lot of importance around the color of carpet and the color of pews and all those things. But when it gets right down to it, does that really have anything to do with what we're really about as followers of God and things that are, are spiritual? Another thing is that we are to make sure that the message does not in any way contradict the Christian faith. And so be cautious. Always test. Check out what you hear. Even this morning, check out what I've been talking about. I think Acts, the 17th chapter, verse 11, the Bereans are a great example of that. There it says, the Bereans were more noble-minded those, than those who were in Thessalonica because they examined the scriptures daily to see whether the things that Paul and his cohorts were saying was, was so. What were they checking with? They're looking back at the Old Testament to see what it said about the things they were saying concerning uh, Jesus Christ. And so they were cautious and they were testing. They examined what they were hearing from this apostolic uh, band. Second Peter, the second chapter and verse one says, but there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there were, will be false prophets or false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who brought the, bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. What I want you to focus in on, on that passage of scripture, is that if there were false prophets in Israel, there can be those who are false teachers today, and we need to be willing to check it out. So Christians are to be wary of anyone who claims to have a, a new message from God that you cannot confirm in the scriptures. No utterance of man should be considered equal or above the written word 
of God. That would include me. That would include any of our elders, any of our teachers, Clint, uh, Jared, any of the ladies who teach in ladies' Bible class, or even in the back in the children's class. They are to be teaching what the Word of God says, and we need to hold people uh, to that. That we are to prove if prophecy is genuine, it needs to be constantly compared to what we hear with the accuracy of Scripture. What we hear or proclaim should always be in agreement with God's word. So, to bring this to a conclusion, the gift of prophecy is a very powerful gift. So why is it powerful? Because it's very important because a gift, it's a gift to the church because its main function is the bold proclamation of God's word. If I were to summarize this gift, I would say that prophecy boldly confronts people with a word of God, building up, encouraging, exhorting, consoling, or comforting, but most of all, calling people to repent of their sins and warning them of the consequences. So please consider the lesson here. Now, I would suggest that if this is the first lesson that you've heard as we've talked about Romans 12 as the motivational gifts, and it's the first one, then I would encourage you to go back to last week's lesson and listen to it because I think I do a better thorough job of showing the difference between Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, the miraculous and the non-miraculous. But the gift of prophecy is certainly uh, there. I believe it's non-miraculous. I believe it's the bold proclamation of, of God. One of the things that is boldly said in the scriptures is that when we know we're outside of a relationship with God, as Peter said on the day of Pentecost to those people there, and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do after they were confronted with their sin? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? Over 3,000 were obedient to that command and were baptized on that day. If that's something you need to do today, I would encourage you to do so. Or if you're a Christian that have been walking not straightforward, or maybe in a crooked way, maybe the time now is for you to repent and to turn back to God. We wait for your, your reply, whatever it might be. Well, together we stand, and while we sing this song of it.